I'm Katrina Craigwell. And I'm Annalise Campbell. And welcome to Am I on Mute? This week, we're talking about the elusive topic of creativity at work, especially in hybrid environments, remote environments, just different environments. I know Katrina and I both, you as a content marketer, someone who's really, really keen on the creative process, we've had a lot of questions on how to navigate things moving forward and and how to foster creativity. So we brought in a pretty big heavy hitter today to help us discuss it. (laughs) We did. The heaviest hitter we could find, Andy Goldberg, who is the CMO of the Mets, who I also had the pleasure of working with at GE, the GE uh, brand is strong. Circle. The yeah. brand is strong. The talent <laughs> is strong. But, you know, when we talk about creativity in a different kind of working environment, it is one of the things where I think it's still very debated. How do you foster chemistry and momentum when it comes to the creative process yeah. when you're not all in a room? What does that look like? And so it'll be great to hear from Andy on how he has done that over the last three or so years. And he's been at American Express for part of the pandemic and the Mets most recently. So, I think this is something that as a community, we're going to need to keep on talking about and keep on pushing and trying to unlock. Yeah, for sure. One of the things I think about, too, is like I remember my first brainstorm at my agency. I'm sure you do. And I'm like, could you imagine your first day at work logging into a Zoom that's like a brainstorm and that's like that's just your life? I'm like, I can't even fathom (laughs) that reality because it just seems so strange. But that's what a lot of young people who are entering the workforce and in creative fields. That's what's happening. I'm just impressed that you can remember your first brainstorm. I must have blocked mine out. Oh, I remember my first brainstorm clear as day. I was not an active participant. I was an active listener, (laughs) (laughs) but I remember it. We're in a completely different place from where we were then and where we're at now, and it's exciting. Well, we're so excited for this conversation with Andy. Andy Goldberg is the executive vice president and chief marketing officer at the New York Mets. He joined the team in spring of 2022 and is charged with building the Mets brand in baseball and beyond. Andy has over 25 years of experience driving global success for some of the world's leading brands, including American Express, GE, Grand Jordan, and Levi's. He was named to AdAge's Creative 50, and his work has earned awards at Cannes, The One Show, and an Emmy nomination. Welcome, Andy Goldberg. Thank you so much. Hi, thank you for being with us on Am I on Mute? My pleasure. We're super excited because today we are recording at City Field. Yes. It's a major upgrade from my dining room table. Listeners, you guys know Katrina and I are normally at home, so. (laughs) So this is great, and, and a shout out to Vito, who has been producing this all with real professional hand and who's teaching us a whole lot. So, Andy. Yes. We are going to talk a little bit today about creativity. That sounds good to me. And how that has changed and evolved over the last few years. But first, the Super Bowl was a couple days ago. Yes, it was. And the Mets ran their first Super Bowl spot ever. For as long as I've been For alive. For as long as you've been yeah. alive. Congratulations. <laughs> it, was, it was truly delightful. Will you tell us a little bit about the process to do that? For sure. So... Let me start with the process of a regular Super Bowl ad. You usually have nine months, at least. Yeah. You spend a lot of time in research, focus groups, understanding what goes into the creative process. What do you want to even tell? It was a little different here. Only started to hatch the idea with some of the lovely people you know, Katrina, from agency land over Christmas. Pitched it to Steve in the first week of January and said, hey, I have an idea to do a Super Bowl ad. Here's the creative. And he goes, okay, let's go for it. So then we had about three weeks to produce it, and we ran fast, got the players to agree. They all showed up on the same day, which was helpful. (laughs) And luckily, we have a really, really great production crew here in-house that was able to get it done and put it on air. Now, it ran only locally in New York, full disclaimer, but it did catch a lot of buzz. And 
not just because they're my friends, but a lot of people did reach out and say how they thought it was the best ad. <laughs> uh, locally in New York, but everywhere online. And Steve is the new owner of the Mets. Yes, yes. Steve Cohen. Yes. Okay, awesome. So in your role as chief marketing officer of the Mets, you're doing a lot. Can yes. you give us a day in the life of Andy Goldberg? Absolutely. It's two different days. There's the in-season days and then there's the off-season days. And I'm only learning because I've only been here a year. So we'll start with the off-season. It's kind of a normal business job, I think, stretched across different criteria that a CMO doesn't typically fall into. So, you know, I could even explain it just how my team's structured. You have a creative content group that really is developing everything from ads, radio, emails, banners you see in the ballpark, the LED screens that have to show up in the games. I have an in-game crew that actually does the production of a full game. So think about a game as a live TV show. Mm -hmm. They're producing it out of a control room. I oversee the promotions, bobbleheads, things like those, our events. I also oversee our alumni and our social. So if you think about all those things together, it's how do the Mets go to market, both to our fans and our potential fan base. That's our nine to five job, strategy, usual stuff. Game days are a little different. Game days are all that. Plus, there are 40,000 people in the ballpark who are being entertained by my team. And when I say that, I mean, there is a baseball game going on. Don't get me wrong. But so much of what else happens in the ballpark has to be entertainment because baseball is a slow sport. So game days are a little different. They run late. Work-life balance does not exist in baseball because we play at night. We play on the weekends. You get a little bit of a rest in the off season, but not so much because you're thinking about next season, thinking about how are we driving ticket sales. It's a very in real time business, which is great. It's very different than the big corporate worlds we came from. Speaking of game day entertainment, there's a new screen going up. Giant, (laughs) massive. It is a huge LED 4K Samsung screen that is going to blow people away. There's actually two new screens going up, the big one and then like a not so small one. (laughs) We're really excited because it's going to give us the opportunity to do really amazing things, give more of a, I don't want to say 3D effect, Mm -hmm. but a depth of field that we weren't able to do it needed an upgrade. It was sort of end of life, but it is going to be spectacular. So we can all look forward to that in the stadium the next time we're here. Absolutely. We'll make note of it next yeah. time we come back. It'll be kind of hard to miss. <laughs> <laughs> so something that we talk a lot about on the podcast is kind of how things have evolved during the pandemic, how things changed, and how we've kind of found what we feel like is a middle ground of sorts, a work in progress of sorts. I'd love it if you can talk to us a little bit about how your creative process had to change coming off the pandemic and what are some of the things that you found harder to translate in a hybrid environment? Totally. So it's interesting. I think in the past, prior to the pandemic, the creative process, I don't want to say it was very linear, Mm -hmm. but it was more structured in you'd have a meeting, you'd discuss a strategy, You might create a brainstorm, which we all know, a brainstorm with more than five people, it doesn't lead to anything. And then you'd sort of wait for the process to play out. I think the timing of things was more structured. Post-pandemic, especially working in an environment like the Mets, it's more how quick can we run and try things out? Ideas can happen really at any moment, kind of like the Super Bowl. I mean, getting a call Christmas break to say, hey, let's do a Super Bowl ad. Someone was thinking about that. I think it's more free form to think. The other piece of it is it changed how you went about working. When I was at Amex during the pandemic, my life was nine to five. Turned on the screen, turned off the screen. 
weekends kind of were very respected. Now, it depended on who you worked for, but that's how the structure worked. Because baseball doesn't have those same boundaries, it does allow us to be more creative. What I will say is it forced me to look outside my little competitive set more at home. I had to look at what other brands were doing, what other companies were doing, what other entertainment experiences are doing, because constantly I'm looking for new ideas and those new ideas were only presented basically by myself. You couldn't do that over a Zoom. You still can't really do it over Zoom unless someone says, hey, are you watching Yellowstone? Like that's really all it comes down to. So, cause you're not experiencing life anymore. Yeah. Even post pandemic, the life experiences are very different than they were pre. So I think that's how I've experienced creativity, how it still happens. Yeah. That's just magic. There's no formula for it. It hits you when it hits you and you better run with it because otherwise you will lose that great idea. Yeah. Can I ask you a question about the Super Bowl spot? Just yeah. Back to that for a second, because one of the players who's joining from Japan. Yes. Kodai Senga. Kodai Senga was featured in the spot. Yes. Through the phone. Yes. He dialed in. He dialed in. Do you think it was more comfortable to go to a shot like that after the last three thousand years? percent? It's kind of interesting. We would not have done that prior to a he would have been there we would have cut him from the spot had Vito not been there we wouldn't have been able to do it the way we did it Shout um, out to Vito <laughs> but but that legitimately was a realistic option post pandemic because you might have done an insert shot with a FaceTime thing but it would have felt more forced it felt natural because that's how people communicate now yeah I love that because it's I think in so many creative conversations we've been talking a lot about how it's hard to get the chemistry going when you're not all together. But we have become more flexible yeah. in the ways that we think about storytelling. And it's exciting to see. A point that someone else made on another episode, they talked about the intimacy of remote work and being apart. How you know, like now you know what your coworkers' bedrooms look like. You know where their dogs sound like. You know what their kids are doing and what they're running around and, and saying on a background on a call. So I think there is a level of just intimacy that we can take advantage of versus just feeling like we've lost so much. Like I think there is a benefit. But on the creative side, how do you think you went about fostering that level of creativity through the screen with that weird but added layer of intimacy? First of all, it's an awesome question because it it's one of those things that you don't think about when it's happening. You have to reflect on it. I was lucky enough when the pandemic hit that I had been at Amex for 10 months. So I'd built some level of rapport with both my team and our agency. What I did find is anytime it was more than two or three people on the Zoom, the creative conversations had to stop. Much like in a brainstorm, much, mm -hmm. but it was much worse on a Zoom than it was live. And I can't explain why it just was when you had more than three or four people on the screen, you had to pivot the conversations more to the functional, less the creative. However, when you only had two or three people on the screen, including yourself, all of a sudden the creative became more free flow. Mm -hmm. And I also think because people were home, they were more relaxed. Mm -hmm. They weren't like, I'm in the office, I'm in the conference room. I can do things more loosely. Yeah. So I think that helped. And now I think the challenge is more than ever, you have some people in the office, you have some people at home. How do you engage people in the right way? What's interesting is I've, I've been doing more phone calls hmm. when I need to talk creative versus FaceTime or Zoom. I don't know why that's worked more recently, <laughs> maybe because people cut each other off less on phone calls. But I will tell you, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, it will get stale. Mm -hmm. You got to change it up. You got to like, 
it's not so bad to go for a drink with your colleagues and have a creative idea. It works sometimes. <laughs> not a bad thing. <laughs> not a bad thing at all. I think since we've been talking to you, Andy, you've mentioned a couple of different agency partners. Yeah. And it seems quite clear to us that you are a leader that really values those relationships. So how did you go about nurturing those relationships when it looked different, when we couldn't interface in the same way that we normally did? How did you go about that? So I abandoned everything happening in the meeting. Very similar to how I was prior to the pandemic, I built relationships with these folks. I spent a lot of time back on the phone just chatting, mm. just talking, and not always focused on what's the assignment. And it was strictly with either the person who was running the agency or the CCO. I won't say it's fully by design, but it was really by design so that the barrier of the distance was cut off and it could be a relationship again because... We weren't traveling on shoots anymore where we got to commiserate and we also got to talk about other ideas. You had to find other pathways forward. And that was the biggest way. So it's been hard. It's also hard now. I will tell you, it makes it no easier being, frankly, at City Field in Queens versus Manhattan because it's all done on the phone and remotely. Can we talk about Edwin Diaz's walk on music? I would love to. It is such a, so I appreciate the athleticism of sports, but I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, a super knowledgeable sports fan, but my husband brought this clip of him walking on the field. And I was like, this is epic. How did that come about? So it was his song before he got here. He switched songs when he came to the Mets and then sort of didn't have a great season and then decided to switch back. I think his agent or his, his wife mentioned it to go back. But it caught on last year like something I've never seen before. Now, granted, he had an epic year in pitching, which helped. But now you can't go anywhere without hearing that song. And then midway through the year, a guy who works for me said, hey, how would you feel about bringing Timmy Trumpets in? It's like, all right, let's, let's go for it. And we told Buck we were going to do it. Buck Walters, the manager. And we had Timmy here for the Dodger series. And Timmy came out. He was here for the first game. We lost, so Edwin didn't get in. He goes, I'll stick around for another night. And he had to get to Singapore. So he's like, I'll stick around. He was crazy. Came out. Edwin's coming out. Timmy runs out of the gate, plays on the field. Crowd was going nuts. But his entrance is electric every time. And the fans love it. And you know what else it is? It's fun. Yeah. The fans are dancing. Mr. and Mrs. Met are playing their trumpets. It just makes it enjoyable. There's a happiness to it in a sense that... I think a lot of other closers in the past have come in with that like intimidating music. This is fun. <laughs> it's energizing. Yeah. It's energizing. And the crowd is rocking when it, when he comes in. Yeah. It's awesome. That's so great. Love that. How is building fandom different when you're trying to reach a distributed audience? And we are kind of on the other side of the pandemic in a way. So people are coming back to the game. Sure. But you're also looking to reach new audiences. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, there's a couple things there. First of all, I come from traditional brands. You guys come from traditional brands. We like to believe people are fans of brands. Even the most passionate of Nikes and Apples and all of, and Disney. I'm obsessed with Disney. But it is different for a sports team. People truly are not just caring and obsessed about it, but they wake up in the morning and look at their phone. They don't look at their phone and go, what did Disney do yesterday? They look at their phone and go, did the Mets win or lose last night? Yeah. That's a different level of building a brand with a fan. Then you have to bring in the idea that I need younger fans, so how do I entertain them? This is an entertainment complex. This is not just a baseball field. So even this year, we tried new things. We're going to try them again. Friday nights, starting Memorial Day, we have a DJ in center field. We do fireworks. 
You can bring your dog to the park sometimes. Giveaways. All ways to introduce different elements of entertainment that isn't just the nine innings on the field. I mean, the players care which DJ we get out in center field. Trust me. (laughs) That's kind of how you do it. And then the younger we want to get, the more creative we have to be with that entertainment because they're distracted. Yeah. And they're on their phones the whole time. So... Any marketer listening, we're all trying to figure out how to be relevant and resonate with Gen Z. My siblings are Gen Z and I ask them every day, like, what's going on with you? What do you guys think is cool? Who do you like? Who do you love? How are you guys adapting to trying to captivate that younger generation and audience? Luckily, we're just trying to get to Gen X, not Gen Z. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) An older demographic. It's baseball. Look, part of what we're trying to do is connect the fan to the digital experience in a way that means something to them. I think baseball has a long way to go to connect with the individual player. And I think that's what Gen Z wants. I mean, I have a 16 year old, like he's obsessed with the individual players, obsessed with the stats. He comes here and he wants to follow that stuff. We have to enable that. It's gotta be faster. They're speeding up the game this year. There are new rules. But I think for any brand marketer, it's always looking for what's out there. I mean, when Katrina and I first started working together, Instagram was brand new. (laughs) Katrina launched our first Instagram channel at GE. Like, what's the next thing? And it's not just let's do TikTok, right? It is diving into those platforms and understanding why are they on them and what are they doing? What is it about music that they like and what is it they don't like? Understanding that and, and getting in their mindset is what we have to do versus frankly taking out the same bag of tricks and trying to reskin them. It doesn't work anymore. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? It actually has to do with career, not about work. Go for it. I had a boss once who we were talking about my year-end review, and he looked at me and he goes, Andy, you're really good at what you do, but no one gives a shit about your career except for yourself. I said, okay. And he literally looked at me and said, you better start making decisions for yourself and making decisions that are going to advance your career versus hold it back. And ever since then, I've been focused on how to do that while growing a team. Because I think that advice I've passed on to other people, I said, always make sure you're paying attention to yourself. And I have. I think it's gotten me pretty far. Yeah, I'd say so. so. (laughs) I love that. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much. It's such a pleasure. It's not what you expected is the best career. Yeah. You no, I, I feel I, like a, a literal mic was dropped. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Like, I'm like, wait, what decisions do I need to make differently? Hold on. Let's go replay the tape. It's such a pleasure to be chatting with you and to be here at City Field. So thank you for having us. Thank you both so much. It's so great to see you. Thank you. Well, that was awesome. Yeah, it was. I'm still stuck on his piece of advice about keeping your career in mind. Like no one gives a shit about your career the way you do. And to give that some priority in how you make decisions. And I think that for many of us, listen, it's important to be humble. It's important to have perspective, but it's also important to own your path yeah, and like step into that. It's such a good reminder. I think it's a necessary reminder. Like I'm thinking to my past self, if I would have had that, I probably would have done things differently. Like, if I would have been thinking about it, I probably would have made some different decisions. Listen, we can't go back and, and change things, but I think you've, you've come pretty far. So um, so it was great advice. It was also just great to talk about the creative process yeah. and like to see everything that's been happening at the Mets, especially over the last year and all of the kind of energy that's coming to 
the team and the brand experience here yeah. is really cool. And I think it's really important. I think obviously Andy's great at his job, but one thing that I take away is like being able to foster and cultivate that energy and be someone that champions it and sees something going on and says, this is moving. How do we amplify it? How do we get more people involved? How do we make it something that will be a lasting memory for fans or for teams or, or so on and so forth? I think that's a really great piece of just life advice, creative advice, like just when you see that momentum or that groundswell, keep it moving. Like you never want to be the person that is shutting it down before it really can get off the ground. That's right. And I think, you know, it was also so great to hear about the kind of breadth of things that Andy gets to work on as CMO here. And it's yeah. a reminder that in that role, there's so much that you can do. It's kind of as expansive as you decide to make it. It's inspiring to hear about that. Yeah. And I hope listeners who are, you know, trying to figure out what they want to do with their career. When I thought of being a CMO when I was younger, never thought about a sports team. Not once. Like, <laughs> and now to hear the scope of Andy's work, I'm like, that's pretty cool. You could be working with the largest screen in all of Queens, because I <laughs> doubt there's a bigger screen in Queens. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Andy and Vito and the team of the Mets for the awesome chat that we just had. Yeah. If you're enjoying this podcast, please follow along on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. Yeah, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can reach us at miunmute at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys. It's been a pleasure. All the notes and anecdotes and questions that we've gotten so far. So please keep them coming. We love hearing from you guys. Thank you. Thank you.